This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You are listening to iFanboy's Talksplode with Gabriel Hardman and Karina Becco. I know what she's going to do, and I can't wait for her to do it. She knows me, and I know her. What I hate, and what I prefer. I know her. So- hey, this is Josh Lanigan from iFanboy.com, and this is Talk Explode, our creator interview podcast. 
This is the first reward in our, our Patreon goals. Uh, we said if we reach a certain level, we would start doing these uh, more regularly, say once a month. So here's the first one, and uh, we thank all the patrons for that. Make sure you go over to uh, patreon.com slash ifanboy, and you can see how that works. But uh, this is also fun for us, too, so it's totally cool. Uh, today we're talking to Gabriel Hardman and uh, Karina Becco. They are a creative team and uh, husband and wife. Uh, they make comics together. They're currently working on Invisible Republic from Image Comics. Um, previously, they've done Heathen Town and, and a bunch of other stuff, Star Wars and uh, Planet of the Apes, good stuff. Um, I always love talking to Gabe, and I always love talking to Karina, so let's get right to it. And I'm here with Karina Becco. Hello. Hi. And uh, Gabriel Hardman. Hello, Josh. I'm also going to give you a high-pitched hi, because I don't <laughs> want to be gender-specific on that. I was worried that I might have been doing that. Um... Husband and wife, uh, creative team, you produce comics together, and I, I've talked to Gabe a lot on here, but I haven't talked to Karina on, on, on this. Have I ever, have I ever had you in the video show? Have you ever talked professionally? I don't believe so. I don't no, so. I don't think so, actually. Then he I think just... the only time I was on here was with Jeff Parker, like, five years ago or something. You were in the video show once, too. Okay, so if you say that so. also, and then, and then Goodfellas. It's okay. Um, All right. Yes, I was on Goodfellas, but that doesn't count. It's true, but basically, like, I don't know anything about her, so you can just go in the room for a half an hour or so. We're gonna chat, and then you can come back after that. I think it's not fair. Um, I, I, I do actually know. I know. I think I know Gabe's sort of comics origin story um, from listening to Jim Viscardi's show, uh, Let's Talk Comics. Um, and if you haven't listened to that, you absolutely should. And I don't want to cover a lot of that same ground, but. Um, I know that you two have been together a while. Karina, did you know comics uh, before Gabe, or what, what's your what's your sort of start with comics? Um, well, actually, there wasn't a whole lot before him. So, <laughs> I uh, we lived together since I was nineteen. Yeah. So uh, he was already embarking on a comics career when I moved in, though. So. Uh, I guess that there was a little bit of time of reading Love and Rockets and things in high school, but I got uh, first row seat to a lot of comics real early because we lived together. And how did that, like, at what point did you, I mean, did you become a fan of it of your own accord, or did you have to be sort of like they were around and eventually that became something that you were interested in? Because, I mean, you've... you've done comics of your own right all at this point now and you, you're writing them and you're doing all sorts of things so you, you've de- definitely developed something for them um so what was your part of it i suppose oh absolutely um i was i've always been a really omnivorous reader so i read a lot of stuff you know in high school and i just if things are around i will generally read them but a lot of my uh taste I think was formed because we lived in Manhattan which was really lucky so there was a lot more um, variety to be found and plus we got deliveries of every single thing pretty much yeah this was when this was in the early 90s when or mid 90s I guess when uh, um, I worked for Marvel and so they literally gave us gave me a giant stack of every single thing that came out every week which was amazing so I just read all of it that's and, a really uh, rough time to start reading comics. <laughs> well, yes and no. I mean, it's it's it seems like it from this uh, you know remove when there's a lot more indie comics and a lot more things that are maybe to my taste um, easily available. But at the same time, uh, it was a really good education to just read a ton of stuff because there's stuff that you don't even remember that they put out. I bet that I read mm-hmm. <laughs> so. 
So it was kind of an interesting way to, to get into it in a way because I was, you know, I also read all of the stuff like Sandman and all of those yeah. things. It was actually, it was a great time for Vertigo or. Yeah. Exactly, well, and like, exactly. uh, as I remember that a game of you, I think it's called was uh-huh. just one, something that, you know, was, was in the stack. Stuck in there. Um, so when I, know, yeah, I was like, Oh, what's this? Oh, what's this? You know, it was. Yeah. Uh, and you know, like the James Robinson star man and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I mean, there were, there were interesting things yes. to be had at the time. I That's think that true. kind of the, what um, people think of now, uh, they almost think of those things as separate, whereas I was reading everything all mixed together and pulling those out as, oh, here's the interesting stuff. But it wasn't handed to me as, oh, here's the interesting stuff. I got to kind of discover that it was interesting. So what? Because I didn't care about any of it. I was like, I was totally uninterested and like, oh, this is all garbage. And I wasn't, I wasn't encouraging any of this. That's interesting. So what was the first sort of, uh, was the first sort of thing that really spoke to you that grabbed you that you thought, oh, these, this is, this is a great thing, or was that something else that wasn't in that stack? Well, actually, I guess the very first thing um, that I was really, uh, I guess it kind of counts as comics was probably the gory stuff that I read as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess that counts as it's comics adjacent, but uh, I guess um, really it was the Game of You and Neil Gaiman stuff that I really lashed on to. And Harvey Picar. Oh, and Harvey Picar, of course. But uh, yeah, I think I came that, to that on my own, just finding old issues of American Splendor at uh, the local comic shop. <laughs> and what were you into? What were you into at that time, Gabe? Um, all that, I was lying about that stuff where I said everything was bad. <laughs> um, but uh, I got you. Yeah. Um, everybody might not. I don't know. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, I was, uh, I was interested in that. I mean, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, I was starting to be less interested in the Vertigo stuff by this point. Like I, um, I had read, um, I'd read all that stuff from the beginning. Like I read Sandman from issue one, just, you know, as a reader and, uh, and I was a huge fan of the Morrison Doom Patrol and uh, Animal Man, and I guess that that stuff was all pre Vertigo. But it, uh, I'm taking it back. That was actually a great time for comics if you knew what to look for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just that you don't you you think of it in a uh, you know it's it's almost like you you think of it as a, a monolith, and it really wasn't. No, no, I don't. Not at all. Not and, you. You in the uh, abstract sense. Yeah. And it was also the tail end of black and white comics and stuff like that. And I mean, I had been, so I'd, I'd read all that stuff as the sort of pre-Vertigo stuff. And uh, I mean, I was maybe, I'm too young f- to have read the Alan Moore Swamp thing when it came out, or I bought a copy when I was 10 and I thought it was awful. Right. <laughs> and, um, you may not have. You know, I wasn't, at the time, I was not the audience. And, uh, but like, I so by the time, you know, by this point, by the 90s and, you know, stuff, uh, um, I, w- I was less and less, interested in that i mean i uh i was starting to kind of get grow away from it because I, I mean for me a lot of that stuff uh the stuff that worked for me the best was stuff that i read when i was like 15 16 years old, 14 15 16 and uh and it was you know kind of adolescent like i feel like that about the morrison doom patrol it was it was a great sort of thing for me at that moment when I loved the Velvet Underground, when I was, you know, interested in, you know, uh, now, be honest, art you and music and all that stuff. No, no, when I was coming into, when I was first exposed to all that stuff, no. you know, I mean, I think I was first exposed to all that stuff at the, you know, uh, and the Morrison Doom Patrol and stuff like that was part of that. And, um, but, uh, you know, at, uh, you know, by the time I was working in comics, stuff like Hellboy had started up. 
Uh, I certainly read Sin City, but I was not a fan of it. Um, I, uh, you know, and there were a lot of things in that, in this one little bubble of time where people were trying to make new and different things, even though everybody remembers it as just this, uh, this wash of, of what at the time was, you know, kind of garbagey books from, you know, Marvel and DC, but also from Image. Were you aware of... I mean, I, I know that you have, a, you have a very finely honed sense of what you think is good and what is bad, but like, were you aware of <laughs> what was actually good at that point? And I only say that because I know you were really young, and yeah. when you're young, you're stupid, and, and what you think is really good, and you have a very, not you, again, this is the collective you, you have a very strong sense of what is good and bad, but you were also working in it professionally at the time, so I'm wondering sort of how that clouds your, your critical view uh, of, of stuff. Well, I mean... Uh, how honest do I be? You know, like how honest should I be? I mean, like now the thing was, I I wasn't a fan of the. I mean, you know, yes, you're right. Uh, I mean, I was young, and it was you know, and you don't have good ideas when you're young. But in for me, those ideas come out as I hate everything. So I mean, like I you know, I I was not in any way a fan of the um, of what was fashionable art wise at that time. You know, the those early image guys. I um, and I felt like I had, you know, I'm like sitting over the corner reading Hitchcock Truffaut and thinking I got all these ideas about storytelling and the stuff I'm doing is garbage at the time. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like I was doing anything any good, but I but when I I did not like the rest of that stuff. I mean, there were certain obviously there are people that, uh, you know, people who did quality work and who had, uh, you know, kind of, you know, solid, obvious talents like Jim Lee or, or, or whoever. But there you know, but I, it, none of that stuff was for me and certainly none of the kind of really adolescent aspect of the, um, of those image books, those early image books was for me. I didn't feel like I was, you know, I was 19, 20 or whatever when those were coming out and I wasn't, you know, 13 or whatever would really strike somebody. So, I mean, a lot of that was not for me and I felt like I wanted to, you know, what I wanted to do back then was vertigo books. Like what I was, you know, I, I, that was what would have been exciting for me was doing something that felt more like, you know, uh, the kind of thing that I would read. I mean, I, what I did draw back then was War Machine and a few other things. Uh, and, but those, that didn't, I mean, it didn't do anything for me. It was a job and it was, you know, a a way into doing this. And, uh, you know, and I love comics and I love, you know, I loved having the opportunity to work in them, but I, that, it Story-wise, those books didn't speak to me. What were you, what were you into comics-wise? And it doesn't have to be from that time. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be from that. But like, what was the work that that you really admired in comics, like at that age? Um, I, I, you know, I mean, I liked a lot of the stuff. I mean, I, I, re- I still really admired Neil Adams, who I, you know, found when I was a teenager and really, you know, and loved his stuff. And I. Uh, and you know, I, and it was it was a point where I was discovering more things, more, like. Gene Colan's uh, Tomb of Dracula stuff, and uh, which was so much harder then. Yeah, to discover things, yeah. and I always think back to that. Yeah, absolutely, and certainly, and it you know it involved stumbling upon something in a a, a bin at uh, you know uh, St. Mark's Comics. Yeah, or you couldn't just order it on Amazon. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't so easy. Um, and there, probably there, easier for us being in a metro, yeah metropolitan. Much center. easier for you. Trust yeah, me. yeah, and it, I mean. You know, and there were just so few collections. It was just a, it was, a, it was a rarity for something to be collected. Mm-hmm. And um, 
Yeah, it was so exciting when things started getting collected. It's it's yeah. so much easier. Yeah, I mean, the, the stuff I did, those War Machine books I did in the 90s weren't collected until a couple of years ago. Oh, that's true. That's um, true. And, but uh, the, so, I mean, I, but I was also really into, you know, I mean, the, the thing for me when talking about this is, and talking about influences and comics is that, like, I've got, I, I know this is the case for Karina as well, but for both writing and art, I have loads of influences and I, and I'm, and I'm mostly looking other places for inspiration than comics because I feel like the stalest thing in the world is to just look within the medium you're working in for, uh, you know, for guidance and for, uh, you know, for inspiration. I mean, I, I like to look Outside of that, at illustration, at uh, sure, you know, at at other, you know, at fine art, at at films, at all sorts of stuff. I, I, and I and I know that. I think the question is more along the lines of like, I'm curious what comics you looked at from any era when you were that agent because I know that now you know a lot more than you did then. But yeah. like at that point, what was it that you looked at that those are good comics? Whether you want to do comics like those or use them as influence or not. I'm, I'm just right. curious. What was yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think it was stuff that I've, a lot of stuff that I've already talked about, the yeah. Morrison Doom Patrol, Animal Man, I love that book. Um, although I didn't, you know, I didn't look, I, both of those, you know, the artists on those are, are, are great and they absolutely work for what they did, but they, but well, they weren't books I looked to as, you know, the templates. But Swamp the, thing, maybe? you know, Swamp Thing, uh, I mean, you know, Hellboy, um, uh, the, uh, and I, you know, I'm coming up blank with a lot of other specifics for things, but I know, I'm sure there were superhero books as well. I mean, I'm sure that, uh, my follow up uh, I mean, for that would be, and what of those things do you still think is really good today? Well, Hellboy's good. <laughs> you know, I mean, um, Mike McDowell is great. And that's, that's, uh, that's true. Not a risky answer, but that's yeah, true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> This is where I'm just a politician. You're like that, but, that good stuff. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I mean, I look back at the Morrison Doom Patrol stuff and I think, well, that was for a teenager, you know? I, yes. And I think, uh, and it's, it's a little different looking at it now because a lot of stuff that's copied it has come in between, I feel yeah. like. So yeah. it, I think that's always the case. Like you see, see something that was the first of something, even if you're, you know, you're seeing it now, you're like, oh, this doesn't seem as fresh. Well, a lot of people have copied it. Yeah. I call oh, that the, the all in the family effect. Right. Yeah, yes. exactly. And one thing that I, um, I mean, something like uh, a very mainstream thing that I loved was the um, uh, the uh, Justice League, the uh, Giffen, DeMatteis, Kevin McGuire Justice League. And um, I mean, you know, that and that was certainly something that I felt like that was a, I mean, that, that was like a high quality book that was doing something different. And I really liked it. And uh, and I have never really gone back and tried to read it again. Exactly. You know, I mean, like I, I would rather that yeah. live in uh, in the yeah. world of I loved it when I was a kid. I understand that completely. And did you two have did you like similar things or did you like different things? Like, do you have because I know that you work together now and we'll, we're, we'll get towards that. But I'm, I'm curious, like at that time, like. Were there a lot? Was there a big dovetail and sort of the stuff that you enjoyed at the time? There's a lot of uh, crossover, but I think I lean more towards. Um, I'll really like you know dark fantasy horror stuff. You like that? You like the horror end of things too? But yeah. I think I'll I'll accept and enjoy a lot more fantasy tinged or science like soft sci fi stuff maybe. And yeah, I mean I like, um, and I, I think that my tastes go in a slightly different direction, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of overlap, but 
I mean, and I think that also you're uh, you're much a much much wider read than I am, and uh, I know lots more movies than you do. Yeah, that's probably true. That's fair. <laughs> and and therefore, together you are unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> we try. <laughs> now, uh, I, I'd I'd be foolish not to touch on this, but Karina, you you had a you had a career uh, prior to comics that is is very fascinating. And I think oh, that it, yeah. it makes its way into, into your work also. So can you tell us a little about you and animals? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had a rather uh, circuitous route to writing comics. Um, I went to school for zoology, and I spent time working as a research assistant, uh, behavioral looking at behavioral um, research in L.A. Zoo. I've been a zookeeper, and I've worked as a... Uh, in a wildlife rescue hospital that was like an emergency hospital for, you know, uh, hawks and sea lions and things like that. So a lot of animals make it into my writing. <laughs> <laughs> I like how that stuck with you. And, and, and I mean, it actually goes across all the work that you've both done. And, and, uh, that's really fascinating. Also, I bet you have not run into one other person at a comic convention who was tabling, who had the same background. Not exactly the same background, but I was very pleased um, recently to uh, meet up with somebody who was a, a paleontological illustrator. So uh, I think there's some of us out there that are, are into stuff like this. <laughs> I think that works really well. So at what point did you two decide we want to work together on something? Now, I think Heathen Town would have been the first thing that you did that was published. Yes. yes, and that that's was right. whoa, 2000, mid 2000s, late two, 2008, no, something 2009. Like that. 2009. Okay, yeah. early 2009. Yeah. So yeah. was was that the first thing? You hey, why don't we do something? Or or was you know the stuff stuff bubbling for years? Yeah, we talked about it for a long time, and uh, we'd actually we went we've gone to San Diego Comic Con like how many god years in a row? Yeah, I hate like to say how many. since nineteen ninety five, I think. Yeah, and I think pretty much every time we went there, we kind of said we should do something together because I wrote stuff, you know, I've written nonfiction stuff and uh, fiction prose and stuff like that. And we always talked about it. And then we finally just the stars aligned so that we both had the time and the, the right, I don't know, mood. I don't yeah. Know. Well, I mean, it was also because you had, you know, you had your, uh, you know, you went to school and, you know, graduated, had, uh, had these uh, animal oriented jobs and, uh, Which can be pretty intense. I mean, the, yeah. you know, the, not a lot of time for extra stuff with some of that. And I, you know, I had a career as a storyboard artist that uh, that for um, ten years straight, from as soon as I left comics uh, in 1996 to 2006, I worked almost nonstop all the time, you know, for a, uh, you know, freelancer. But, you know, when, uh, you know, when I'd finish a movie, the, another movie come up, I, you know, I'd start on that and I'd just keep going forever. And so, uh, and the, the, it's also a very intense career and, uh, had spent, uh, you know, and had always wanted to do other things and, and, uh, and do things that were more personally creative. And, uh, you know, and I mean, I think that I, uh, I mean, I've talked about it before, but at the end of a very stressful movie uh, um, that I worked on for a really long time, 
I had, um, you know, I had just felt like I got to do something different. And Karina had had the the story for Heathen Town, and we basically kind of worked on it together. And I adapted it into the comic. And uh, you yeah, know, it was, and, it was after a very um, intense and stressful period of the job I was at as well. Yeah, so it we kind were. Of was, it, yes, it needed a break. <laughs> yeah, we had both worked on super intense jobs separately, and then you know, and it was it was a stressful, difficult time, and so and we ended up uh, you know collaborating on the thing together after that, not as some sort of you know, intentional thing or, you know, uh, or some way to, you know, spend time together or anything. It was more just like, yeah, God forbid. Uh, look, <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm going to go back and read it now. And just look for all, Oh, it's all here. It's right yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's just, we, you know, we, it just ended up working out that way. And, and at that, it took a couple of years for us to get the book published and, and be serious about getting it published. So, um, but we did. We got it all done just for our own, to our own satisfaction before we even tried to get yes. it published. It was kind of just a thing like, let's see if we can do this and make it work. Yeah. So, so did that get, did that see print before you started working at Marvel again? No, I don't think so. I think, um, I think that it was that um, uh, Mark Panisha at Marvel saw either some stuff from that or some other stuff that was online. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, maybe he saw pages from Heaventown. I don't know, and uh, and had, or maybe Jeff Parker saw them. I don't, I don't know, uh, but somebody from there uh, did and uh, called me up about doing some of the something, like, you know, like the little jobs that I did uh, at, at Marvel initially, um, and uh, I don't know, um, but you know, it was just a thing where we made a deal to publish Eventown with Jim Valentino at, uh, you know, Image Shadowline and the turnaround from when we made the deal to when it was actually published. Uh, I had already done a bunch of Marvel books in the, you know. In, that was in the first thing you'd, comics you'd drawn in, in yes. quite a while. Yeah, Eventown was the, definitely the first comics I'd drawn since, and I think it really shows, uh, you know, since, uh, um, you know, since the, the mid '90s, and I and I since uh, since the prequel to Independence Day, which was the last <laughs> yeah. comic I did. That's right, I forgot. <laughs> oh my gosh! How did it compare to that work, though? Honestly, I feel like that Independence Day prequel is pretty strong. <laughs> uh, especially the part where somebody went back and redrew all of uh, Bill Pullman's heads <laughs> on uh, that I had drawn. Uh, I can't remember what the deal was with that, except I'm pretty sure that I met that guy at some point at a con. And do you ever find yourself out and and you run into Bill Pullman somewhere and just look at his hands and just, damn it. No. Damn it. No. <laughs> well, that could happen someday. And that thought is going to pop in your head and I'm going to be part of it. <laughs> um, and I like that. Um, so what made you want to go back to comics then? Oh, just deep, deep frustration with where I was in, in movies. I mean, you know, I I had just finished working on the most expensive movie ever made, and it was incredibly intense, but I didn't, you know, I'm working for the director. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not getting any cre real creative satisfaction out of it, despite putting an enormous amount of creative work into it, and certainly not getting any credit for that work. Had it so, been in your mind to that, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do comics again someday? Yes, Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, it, it was there was never a point where I thought that I wasn't going to do comics anymore. It wasn't even a um, a clear career move to move into storyboards. It was that that I mean, it, it was I wanted to work in films and I you know want to make films, but the um, but the working in storyboards was some was a kind of 
uh, happenstance sort of thing. And I went into it and I, you know, and I was real serious about it. And I had been a movie nerd for, you know, since I was a teenager. And so I had read tons about filmmaking. So, and applied all that to, to working in storyboards. Uh, but it was when I got into it was when the, when the comic business collapsed. I, I was going to say it was a, it's a perfect, like you were out of it exactly the right time to not be in it. Yeah, yeah, it was a good jump to make. It was dumb <laughs> luck. And, uh, you know, and I went, we, you know, we went to the San Diego Comic-Con the year, the following year. And, you know, and I'm going around talking to people who are, you know, who are desperate and don't have any money and looking for jobs. And I, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I just worked on this movie called Austin Powers. And, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and everybody's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Did you have any comics contacts left over? Uh, no, no, not at all. Like, uh, yeah, most of, there's no, none of those people. Oh, well, I mean, Hank, Hank Canals, who's, yeah. uh, who's at DC comics still is somebody who, uh, who I, who's still in comics who I know, but even he had gotten out of comics for, uh, for several years after that. Yeah, he had worked everybody we knew. Yeah. I mean, he had worked at Malibu and I'd worked with him there, but, um, almost everybody else was, uh, pretty much everybody I knew then was out of comics really soon after that. Now, um, Let's zip forward a little bit, and and I mean, I guess you could say your opus that's that's going on now is um is Invisible Republic, and you know, I was almost like, where did that come from? But I still kind of want to know where that came from because, I mean, this is this is the larger scope than anything. It's a it's a big thing. Yeah, was that sort of in in the nascent stage for a really long time? Fuck yes, <laughs> a long time, long time. Like it was, um, it, it, the germ of the idea was uh, about, and you know, Invisible Republic, if you haven't, if somebody listening hasn't, you know, doesn't know anything about it, is this kind of a big sort of political science fiction epic. And it starts, uh, the, the kind of instigator of the story is, uh, is this confrontation between a couple of, uh, of refugees and some soldiers on a beach. And that initial, concept of taking that situation of the um of the soldiers and the uh and the refugees and the beach and that whole thing uh uh and and that confrontation that the germ of that idea was had been knocking around for a really long time and the idea of making it a science fiction thing was knocking around for a really long time and um and i'm sure earlier it was you know at, at earlier points it was much more of a science fiction thing than it is now uh, you know my tastes tend to beat things down into people wearing cargo <laughs> pants and uh, in shitty clothes and uh, and and you know and a very limited amount of fantastical stuff but uh, but it's something that we had talked about for years and years and years and we had and not only that it was something that we started working on immediately after Heathentown. I did I that's drew right that's right uh, it was it was uh, in not really in production, but at least. Well, uh, no, I drew the entire first issue of it oh, immediately after true. Even Town. Yeah, that's true. And uh, it's, I mean, we went back and completely revised that. I mean, there are some bits and pieces that survive into the first issue of Invisible Republic. But, um, but that was a, we had that whole issue and showed it to Jim Valentino at the same time we were making the, uh, the deal for Even Town. Hmm. But um, it was, but then I, you know, I got kind of diverted into, um, into doing the Marvel stuff, and uh, and we were always sort, and then and you were exclusive for a year, even. With yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was great, and uh, and then uh, that was a very important part of my career, um, and the uh, and so doing it. yeah, well, exactly, <laughs> and so like uh, I 
you know, I did that. I did Hulk and I did, you know, another book. And we uh, and then Karina and I started writing freelance stuff together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then the freelance stuff kept, you know, becoming the thing that kept us from doing uh, what became Invisible Republic. So, like, it it was something that we, you know, that, that was sort of our dream thing. Uh, that we never wanted to do until we could totally control it, uh, because uh, we knew that if it if we could doing it the way we wanted to do it was probably not the way that somebody else would let us do it. Mm-hmm. Where did where did the germ of that idea come from between the two? Because I and I I know this because my wife and I will have conversations about stuff all the time and we're both relatively creative and and we'll hit on a thing and then start to talk about it and develop it into a comedy television series that no one's ever going to make so it doesn't go anywhere but i'm wondering like where the where the basis where the the germ of that came from cuz it's it's very specific but i can't it doesn't it's not it doesn't feel like an an analogy to anything real it actually um the very smallest seed of it came from a folk song and um Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> no, that that's a great answer. That's what I was like, wow, I wasn't expecting to hear that. Yeah, well, um and that kind of grew the idea that a lot of those songs go through multiple generations and they mean something different to each new generation that will use it for a different struggle or a different um, crisis or a different uh, you know set of problems, a different government even. So the idea that you could take that and those same things that happen to people and that they struggle against and it could have happened in the past, it could be contemporary, or it could be far in the future. Um, I think that kind of was the yeah. The I mean, the the song is a um, is you know it's called different things because the the way that sort of folk tradition works, people take the you know they lyrics and they make different songs out of it, and they you know yeah. Sometimes it it's the music that stays, and sometimes it snatches of of the lyrics, but sometimes it's just almost um, it, like the the lyrics will change completely. But it'll still sort of mean the same thing. Yeah, and, I mean, and this is a song. This the name Arthur McBride. One of the you know central characters, and it comes from the song, and uh, it's about um, you know, and it's basically a it's it's a song that's more or less about a confrontation on the beach between mm-hmm. a soldier and some people on a beach, and uh, yeah, there's um, a great uh, Bob Dylan rendition that yeah. we both really like, <laughs> and um, and so like uh, it, but taking that and saying, I mean, you know, it's it's a the song itself is sort of a rebellious song. It's basically a, a fuck you to authority song. And, um, you know, and it's been, you know, more or less used that way. Although there are versions of it where, uh, you know, where the, um, the entire confrontation where they beat the shit out of the soldiers and kill them is sort of a fantasy that's, uh, uh, that's sort of revealed at the end of the song. But, um, you know, but we wanted to take that and not say, this is a simplistic situation where, uh, you know, where some soldiers came along and, uh, you know, and our scrappy heroes, uh, you know, uh, beat the shit out of them and uh, uh, told them they weren't going to join up. You know, we wanted to take it and make it something that had moral and, you know, complexity to it and had uh, and where it wasn't entirely clear that uh, that our heroes are, uh, you know, like have, um, uh, you know, are are you know human <laughs> yeah or just they're not black and white characters you know and, and it's, it's always an interesting thing too if you look at uh you know those if you have the perspective of history where the power lies because of course it depends on which side you're on and what you perceive as the power so um yeah to see how that power would 
arise and how someone would use it and what they think they can do with it as opposed to what they actually do with it is an interesting question. And it, a lot of the times the song is called Arthur McBride. And we had called the book Arthur McBride for a long time. But and nobody liked that. Yeah, nobody liked that. But still, the point, though, yeah. was more that um, that the uh, he's not the main character. No. The main character is his female cousin. And she's the one we, we follow through his story. And she's the one who is kind of the crux of, uh, you know, the reporter investigating it, that, that she had been uh, somehow wiped, uh, wiped out of the history of this planet. And that, uh, and that there had been a uh, this strong central woman who uh, who had, um, you know, who had played this enormous part in re- you know reshaping the history of this planet, but it had been completely wiped away, like happens a lot in the world. And uh, so, uh, yet, however, st- I've I've you know we've we've had many Hollywood oriented meetings about this uh, uh, this book, and uh, and inevitably. None of them can understand that the man that Arthur McBride is not the main character. Despite the, the fact that it's literally huge sections of the book are written in a diary written by Maya. by the Maya, the female character from he's, her point of view. He's he's nearly a background character. Yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah, is very does. obvious. I don't think and they read it. And he's a black box. Like you can't. Like we never see into his yeah. his actual thoughts and stuff. We get her point of yeah. view. Yeah. Wait a second, Josh. Yeah. Are you suggesting that Hollywood people are not a hundred percent above board? <laughs> Listen, I-, I didn't work there as long as you, um, but I've read some things. And, uh, well, good good job making it through those meetings is basically where I'm getting. Yeah. At. Well, I mean, like, instantly when when you say like we've had meetings about it, and I just thought that's not going to work, and not <laughs> because the not because there's anything lacking in the story, but just because it's a you know it's a lot. And it's complicated, and it's you know, fitting that into three acts, and you know that doesn't. Well, work. It's, it yeah. wouldn't be a movie; yeah. it would be a yeah. television show. Good, you know. I mean, and it, there, there was no point where I was where I was pitching it as a movie, and and that's it's this is all still an ongoing thing, so you know, it's probably not worth talking about. But the um, but there even, there was never even so. I mean, it's a tough pitch. Eh, maybe because yeah. if you were to ask me, I, and I like it, I've read the whole thing, I'm following it as it goes. But you know, if, if I had to put it into a boilerplate boilerplate log line, that's tough. Yeah, it's but true. that's do you also... have it? Like, do you have the the log line? Like, like how do you describe? Yeah, it? Yeah, well, yeah, sure. But I'm not gonna fucking trot it out for you here. I'm not your <laughs> monkey. Um, the uh, it, it's just that, like, I think that the um, it, I think that the the weird issue about all this though is that that. You know that thing you're saying. What what's what is it in a logline? Mm-hmm. Is um, not something that actually applies to to um, to you know big sophisticated dramatic television shows. You know, and it, it just isn't. It doesn't apply to Game of Thrones. It doesn't apply. Really, it doesn't even apply to Breaking Bad because you take you say that it's about this one thing about the high school teacher and the drugs, and it's not. You know, I mean, that is just an instigating incident that which all the stuff unfolds from. So, I mean, these are kind of, um, you know, everybody knows that you have to sell stuff and everybody understands that it's going to be, you know, that uh, that you have to have a simplistic way of selling things. But I don't think those simplistic ways of selling things necessarily reflect the actual series. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. That yeah. said, she's not my, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're doing our best with this and, you know, and stuff, but our intention with this is to do this book. And done too bad. We got a Hugo nomination. That is true. We did get a Hugo <laughs> nomination, but the, but the point being just as far as the, the movie stuff is concerned, the Hollywood stuff is concerned, because like what our intention is to make this book, our intention is not to make a book that we sell as a television show. There's not like, no matter what people actually think how this works, there actually isn't a, a level of financial compensation that makes this, uh, you know, a sole thing to to try to do. You know, if you're making a book, you know, and you think you're just doing this so you could sell it, so you can make a bunch of money on, you know, on whatever. The realities of this is that it doesn't really work out that way anyway. The, I, I, I had a moment there where I had to be like, I know. And then I go, oh, he's not talking to me. and so like i mean it's 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 about making this book and this and in this book is the only way that we can tell this story Mm -hmm. and do you know what the whole story is yeah yep i think yeah yeah absolutely and and how long uh, how long is this whole thing and i mean i did did i read like 60 no it's we're we're saying it's 30 issues long i mean that could give me a heart attack 60 oh my <laughs> um, but it, you know, I mean, that's there. There are ways that it could be slightly different than that, but it's it's it, it's pretty well figured out to be uh, thirty issues, six trades. Yeah. And are you doing? Was there was there a break? I feel like I read you talk about this like early on, and now it's been long enough that I've forgotten. Was was there like was there a break? We're gonna do this for a little while, take a break, come back to it for a little while, and make sure you have time to do the whole thing. Is that the deal? Or are we uh, just straight through that's now? That's very lo- likely. Oh, yeah, I mean it's very likely there will be a break after the third arc. Um, there was a, uh, I mean, the, there have been breaks in a sense because the way that image wants us to, you know, wants books scheduled is to have a break between them, you know, but, um, the, uh, and there was a little bit bigger of a break between the last two arcs because I got kind of stuck working on a film doing storyboards for many months longer than I expected to. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it, it made life a little bit difficult for getting the book done. But uh, um, but so we have insurance, so that's nice. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes, but we do have health insurance. Um, and but the um, but like the uh, the the third arc starts in uh, September and uh, with issue eleven, and you know that's you know, that'll all come out you know normally. And how far ahead are you at any given time? Like, are they written? Not, you... I don't follow that question. What, what exactly are you asking? Yeah, <laughs> mumble, mumble, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, like, to me, like, the, the scariest, biggest part is, is and, I, and I know that you're the guy who has to draw them, but the, sort of the plotting and, and sort of as it's broken down, like, I, do you know what's going to happen in all the issues? Do you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like, it's... it's, it's um, do you script? I, how does, I feel like I've asked you this uh, personally, but, like, do you do a full script or you, or how, how do you we started out, we doing, started full out doing that, but it's sort of like, um, because it's all in house, if you will, it's sort of literally, yes. Yeah. Literally all in house. It's a little extraneous to do full scripts because we just go back and forth on it anyway. And so we kind of work it out between us and then it's, it's drawn. basically, yeah, we work it out. I write, I write a bunch of notes down on a yellow pad. We, you know, we, we know what all the scenes are and all the, you know, and, and the way that it all works. This is kind of the way it's evolved, too. Mm-hmm. We started out with the full scripts and we start, you know, and it just, 
it, it just became obvious that we were doing something sort of redundant. Mm-hmm. Well, the only it, thing a script is for is to communicate between the writer and the artist. And we're both, we're both we're writing. There, we so both write already, it. We're already doing, yeah, it's not, uh, we don't really need that step because, yeah, what are you going to write your, you write yourself? <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it, I mean, some people do. I know yeah. Joe Kubert said you had to do it that way. Um, and, but I, I just feel like um, it feels increasingly it felt like uh, every time I sat down to draw it, I was reshaping all the scenes uh, in, you know, the way that they, they were structured, the way that they were presented, the, and the, the blocking of them and everything. So, um, so we, it just became kind of redundant. It, it, it became a thing where we needed to sit down and figure out what, what's going to happen in it. And then I work on it and, uh, and, and lay it out and figure out the way that the scene is structured both from our our writing ideas and through the uh, the way that we execute it, so that they're they're melded together in some way that you can either in in an inextricable yeah, sort of way. It feels to me more sculptural than a lot of uh, a lot of than I don't know formulaic. Yeah, and you can't you couldn't do this if you're just you're writing something and working with somebody on the other side of the country and you don't know them very well or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I you know I co-write the book and I keep it all in my head all the time. Yeah. Is it done? I mean, so is it basically done Marvel style, where you, you're sort of plotting it out, and then you're drawing it, and then dialogue goes in later? Eh, it's, it's, if it's I didn't call it Marvel that, style, it, what's that? <laughs> if I didn't call it Marvel style, but uh, it's sort, it is a little bit like that, but it's not like all the dialogue is all the, is just thrown in there at the last moment. Yes. We're not, you know, it's it's we're not reshaping the story based on some artwork or something, you know. I mean, which is I think I know how that worked a lot of the time. Now. So here's my here's my question that I've had about it, and I, and I saw you talking about this recently, Gabe. Is you know if your story, um, it was something about whether something's appropriate to be a comic book. I'm curious how you would explain that this is appropriate for being a comic book, um, it, because you know it's complicated. It has a lot of human characters. A lot of it is talking and feeling. There's not a ton of action stuff. Well, there is some, there's explosions, there's fights with soldiers and things like that. What is it about it that makes this correct for a comic book form? Um, so you're, I, I realize you're saying that comic readers are stupid and that's why we this can't is, do stuff like this, but, um, I'm, the, what about it takes advantage of visual story stories? No, 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 no. I think that it is because it, I mean, I'm of the opinion though that, all right, I'm of the opinion you can do any, some things are probably not suited to comics, but you can do anything if you're ambitious enough. Because it's not, comics aren't necessarily just only at their best when, uh, you know, when there's kind of propulsive visual stuff going on. And you can reduce things down to, uh, to very simple terms, visual terms that are still very, very dynamic. RVP car stuff. Like, yeah, uh, well, yeah. Although, yeah. I mean, just to take an extreme example of something that doesn't have a lot of traditional action. Yeah. I mean, Ego and Hubris is one of my favorite books, and that's right. all about a narcissistic dude. Yeah. And I just don't think that you, I mean, and I think, I mean, I think that's a kind of storytelling, though, that is, uh, that's relying a lot more on uh, less on scenes and moments and being in the moment of something. And the, the kind of storytelling that I always want to do is about uh, being in that moment and 
uh, and caring about stuff with these characters and, uh, you know, and experiencing things with your characters, not a divorced sort of third person view of things. And I mean, I think that there's no reason not to be able to do tell stories in that way. And I think that you could tell uh, you could tell a story about, you know, a couple of people living in a house that could be uh, dramatic and, um, you know, and 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 work in all of the ways that a comic should work. And I, I just, you know, but it's down to being able to be a cartoonist and being able to to control all of the the things in the medium. It's not you can't do it by. Uh, you know, as a factory, you couldn't do it where you just, you know, somebody writes a script, a screenplay about a couple of people sitting around a house and then hands it off to somebody and goes, oh, figure out the cool angles for this. <laughs> you know, it, ha- it has to be intrinsic. The, the way you tell it visually intrinsically has to be part of the story. It's all the same thing. To, comics are about uh, storytelling and the storytelling is visual as well as with the text. And those things have to melt together. So uh, there is any version of this where the um, uh, where the script is a completely separate thing from the art. It, it can be serviceable, but it's not great. <laughs> Seriously, it's the only greatness in comics is when these things are absolutely melded together. Now, on this, like, where's the division of labor? Like, Karina, are you 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 make uh, notes on on breakdowns at this point, or you know, not notes, but you, are you talking about that, or you working out the plot, and then you know he handles the art, or or you know how does no, that work? It's actually really that we sit down with a pad of paper and and talk. We talk about it. Well, we talk about it a lot, just generally, and then. Um, he makes notes as we talk about it more formally. And then after there's actual art, um, I'll usually take a, a pass at the dialogue and the um, entries, the diary entries. But it's only after we've already been um, talked about, like there's already markers for what the scene will be about, actual dialogue points. Sometimes there'll be full bits of dialogue already basically in place seems written yeah yeah i mean and and the and saying oh we sit down and make notes we make a lot of notes it's like a it's it's a you know it's it's not like uh uh you know going off and just uh, i'll draw something and then stan lee will figure it out (laughs) like i'll um have usually a lot more to say about the way the ecology of the planet works because that's what I spend a lot of time thinking about. Um, but I think really that's the only thing that I usually weigh in more heavily on. But at every moment, if I'm drawing a scene and I'm in this scene, you know, I mean, if I'm drawing it, it's kind of like being a director and you're in the scene with these characters and you're trying to make it work. And if something feels phony, I'm, I'll just be like, you know, I'll just go upstairs or go to Karina's studio and say, you know, what this this isn't this right. Isn't working. What are we gonna? Yeah, do? this isn't ringing true. How are we gonna fix this? What? How? How can we make this better? This is too lazy. Like we could, you know, we could just do this in a better way. And um, so it's very, it's you know, and that happens all the time, all the way through it. Mm-hmm. I'm picturing a very the a very harmonious uh, working arrangement. And, and, you know, I'm married, so that seems, that seems kind of amazing. <laughs> uh, we, got, we have conflicts, you know? Uh, so, yeah. Like how, does, but, like, how does that work? Because basically, you've completely intertwined your 
personal and professional lives, you're both together in the house all the time. So you're always working on this thing. Like, has that is that hard? Well, it's okay. For one thing, it's not exactly that because okay. Karina writes multiple other freelance jobs, right? And I'm a storyboard artist who gets pulled onto these dopey superhero movies occasionally. So, like, it's and I we it also helps that we we um, both have studios that are separate mm-hmm. that have different pets in them and are <laughs> arranged differently and the door is closed. It's just yeah. funny that that's the first thing that they have different pets in them though. Look, first of all, she's got a cat in her studio. And I have her. a rabbit in mine. <laughs> it's a very important distinction. <laughs> but I found also that I need a day out of the house to do something completely unrelated. So I always put a day aside during the week to do volunteer work. Mm-hmm just to kind of clear clear my head. <laughs> and like so do you guys ever do things where where you're like okay we're not going to talk about this here. We try and it never works. Yeah, we try. Uh, I don't have discipline when when it comes to that. It's every virtually every sentence out of my mouth is I know we're not supposed to be talking about this. Yeah, that's true. But that's true. <laughs> I have this idea. <laughs> I can, the closest I can liken that to is if I do get a night out, I'm, we'll be like, let's just not talk about the kids. Right. <laughs> it's a little like that. It, it's yeah. got to be a lot like that. It is. It is. And then you're, you're talking about uh, pets and animals. Talk to me. You know what? <laughs> yeah. just, I want a diversion now because I, I want to talk to me about the pets and, and animals and, and the coterie of wildlife that you live with. <laughs> because I feel like it's pretty expansive. Yeah. We've, uh, we've got seven. Yeah. I guess you know. I mean, we, we have four cats. We have a dog. We have four cats. We have a a bird, a uh, bird, a fish, bunny. and a bunny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, you know, it's just we just have we just like animals. And, and is that both of you? And has that always been the case? Yeah. 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 You had a cat when I moved in with you. Yeah. And then, in short order, I found another cat. <laughs> so. It's just, you know, it's kind of grown, but we've gotten a bigger house. So yeah. what can you do? <laughs> it's good. It's good. I, I like it very much. It's it's It seems like a, a nice atmosphere, except when they get sick and then, then it throws everything off. Which yeah, is constantly. Is really there are constantly. too many of them. They are constantly <laughs> sick. So, that's you know. not true. We take very good care of our guys. And they still are constantly sick because there's too many of them. Well, but some what, of them are it, rather elderly. It is what it is. <laughs> Um, you know, I want to go backwards a little bit, um, because the first time you st- you started working together after Heathen Town, you did a series of uh, of licensed properties, which sounds so strange when we're sort of talking about all these other things that are going on. But it was it was too. I rem- and I specifically remember uh, talking to you two in San Diego, and and you were both very. You were like, we're going to do Planet of the Apes. I loved working on Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So where did, where did that, were you trying to get that? Or, or? No. Well, <laughs> kind of. No, not really. I mean, only in that, like, literally, we I had done some something for Boom that I can't remember now. Like but we, I, we talked to them at the book festival. Right, but it literally was we ran into the people from Boom at the L.A., you know, like the UCLA book festival, and... Uh, and they were going to do a Planet of the Apes book. And I, you know, and we were just talking to somebody from there. And uh, and I was like, hey, let us do a Planet of the Apes one shot. And they were like, okay. How about a miniseries? How about a miniseries? <laughs> we were like, okay. 
And that's kind of how it happened. I mean, it was not a big plan. And I mean, I think that the, um, you know, all, all of the all of the business of what is, you know, uh, you know, what seems like it's a good thing to do and what, you know, and what's an exciting thing to do. I mean, I, I at that time was working on the highest profile thing I ever did for Marvel, just drawing it mm. um, on Secret Avengers. But you weren't writing it. I wasn't writing it and it was not a good experience. And I and so looking at uh, um, the, all the blonde superhero men. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, the death of uh, visual storytelling. Uh, every single character being a blonde guy who looks exactly the same. Um, but the um, like, it's and so the uh, just this frivolous sort of thing of hey, well, I mean, like it's uh, of hey, we'll write a Planet of the Apes comic. You know, like it's so dopey. You know, and uh, and of a thing to do. Yet, like when. You know, and it was a, and it was just a tossed-off idea that we would do it. But then when when they came back to us and was like, "Well, why don't you just do? You know, why don't you just do like a four-issue miniseries?" Uh, and uh, we and we sat down to do it. It was like, "Holy shit! This is this is like this is the kind of thing that the stories we really like to tell." Like it was all about. Uh, you know, this kind of gray moral stuff and the, uh, you know, politics, a little familiar, you know, about, uh, you know, I mean, there's the animal aspect of it, but really that was sort of, uh, um, it was kind of flipped because in the world of that, the, the apes are sort of like the people and the people are more like ant treated like animals. And I did work, um, with orangutans and chimpanzees at the LA zoo. I was, uh, the manager of uh, two different projects looking at ape behavior. Yeah. So, so I mean, all of these pre uh, everything in the world of, especially in the pop culture world, is based on these preconceptions. And like, do people who do real work are not working based on preconceptions? You're getting in there and you're and you're going, what's the story we have to tell? And uh, and when we got into this and we start digging into it, it's like, this is the kind of story we want to tell. And it, and it was, you know, and like, you know, we had already thought about Invisible Republic at that point. We were worried about cannibalizing things <laughs> that we had thought of from Invisible Republic. But like the the weirdest thing about doing some planet licensed Planet of the Apes comic is that absolutely no one told us we couldn't do something. We did everything we wanted to do. And we were, you know, and we tried to stay true to the world of it. And we were able to, you know, to tell a story in the way we wanted to tell it, do it in a... Um, you know, write a freelance thing for the first time together, uh, and, um, and figure out how to do it and how to accomplish that. And then, you know, I only drew the first four issue miniseries, then, then got to work with Mark Lamming on, uh, on the second miniseries. It was amazing. And then, uh, you know, and work with other artists and, and be able to, uh, you know, to, to kind of just get paid to, you know, to, to figure out how to do all that sort of shit. Well, and plus there are a lot of characters that we could play with that were much more recognizable as people to me, even though they were apes. There were women who were scientists and cared passionately about their work. And, you know, I know a lot of people like that. And there was room for um, friendship between women and, you know, morally ambiguous retired soldiers. And uh, there was a lot more space to develop the type of stories we wanted to tell. And it's a world where there aren't heroes. Right. It's not about heroes. It's not about uh, about people who are held to some particular uh, moral standard or, or thought to be. And that's an exciting thing for telling a story. 
Yeah, I mean, when I look at that and I look at Star Wars that comes after it, it really does seem of a piece with Invisible Republic. It's your voices. You know, it's it's visually, obviously, sort of, it's visually the same. Um, it, it's really, it's. I find that really interesting. Well, the Star Wars one was very similar because nobody, I mean, we, at the, it, it was at, it was at Dark Horse and it was at a point before, well, actually the selling, uh, uh, Lucasfilm to Disney happened right when we were uh, doing the book, but yeah. none. But there was no impact of it while we were doing the book, and but it just meant that we knew we had an endpoint. Yeah, we knew that it was going to run out at some yeah. point. But the um, but we were able to just because uh, you know we worked with Randy Stradley there, who had been doing Star Wars comics forever, and it it was something where we were we just had basically we had these couple of parameters laid out. I mean, there were things that we would have done differently if it had not been the, you know, building on everything that had already been happening in the comics world of Star Wars before then. You know, there were certainly things we would have just clarified about the politics of it. But the... Um, uh, there were some things that we weren't allowed to clarify because yes. we were doing things with the novels and other other places where we weren't allowed to go there because somebody else was already treading yes. that ground. Yeah, yeah. So that was a, I mean, that was a weird kind of frustration with it. But basically, we were just able to, you know, uh, to, to tell the story and try to tell it about, you know, uh, and, and I think there's actually a bit more heroism and earnestness in, in our Star Wars book. But that, that's well, the what... the tone is totally different. The tone is different. That's, it's, Star I mean, Wars Star Wars is yeah. a more simplistic universe. And I mean, I don't think that's a there bad thing. There are heroes in Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... Now, Karina, from those, you sort of launched into doing, you didn't sort of, you did, you launched into doing some freelance work on your own, writing, writing under just your own name. Uh-huh. Was that, was that something you were, you were going for to, to try to, to write comics on your own or, or is that like a, a, a nice happenstance also? Yeah, well, at a certain point, um, I had a really uh, unbelievably horrible commute to my zookeeper job. And at a certain point, it was kind of like, well, I can spend more time writing or I can spend this time in the car. So I had to kind of pick one. And uh, my zookeeper job, I knew, had a lifespan on it just because of where the zoo was. So I picked comics. And that was probably a good choice because it felt like at the time, oh, my God, what have I done? I've gone completely freelance. And I'd never done that in my life before. We'd always only had one freelancer. Right, yeah, no, who, yeah, yeah. You know, of course, working with animals does not make a lot of money. So it's not like I was taking a pay cut in any way, shape, or form as long as I kept getting jobs. But I did. So happily, I just kept getting jobs. Like, I've done a lot of work for Dynamite. I really like working with Dynamite. And um, some other stuff with Dark Horse. And did two different Once Upon a Time uh, <laughs> adaptations. We are master of licensed properties now. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't actually have anything against licensed properties. I know a lot of people, um, they get kind of a bad rap, but I find it kind of fascinating to work in somebody else's universe and really try to make it feel like that property. Well, you've, got, you've, got, you've got like a model to work with, and then you can do something really cool within those limitations, which is I guess yeah, exactly. very attractive. Well, it's not, I mean the the utter the utterly artificial distinction between Marvel and DC books and licensed books. I mean, it's the same thing. There's a, there's a big you know uh, I mean they're they're Marvel and DC books are licensed corporate books that don't you know that have very specific structures that you have to follow. It's I mean the differences are 
very minimal. It's true, but they have been designed around a certain uh, comic book superhero story, which, say, uh, you know, an episodic television show or something isn't really the same form. So you have to transmute it into that other thing. It's Yeah, but I mean, I, well, I think... And, and the proof of that is that very often it does not work. <laughs> sure, um, but tell me what... I mean, do you, do you think that very often it anything works? You know, I mean, it's, you know, the well, vast majority of, of things don't work. The vast majority of... of yeah, but... but it, it, about, anything don't work. But Marvel comics kind of are what they are. And if you were the audience for those Marvel comics, you go, okay, and you just keep buying them. And as long as they're not offensive and well even then uh, uh, but i don't i think but, that but that's I'm a, if you, the that's, audience for them keeps going after them same thing with the television special show. pleading special pleading it's a it's a it's, it's it's work and the work is either good or not good the work is made by people there are no universes there's no nothing there's there's there are uh there are stories the stories are told by people and they're either good or bad i remember um I want to say the mid two thousands. There was there were the comics publishers were just getting into this idea that they would do comics of television shows, and I don't remember who did it, but somebody did a, a comic series of the Shield, and, yeah. and I remember I read the first one because I was like, I'm into the Shield, and I just it was so wrong. It was just right, awful that, and nothing so worked. But that's I mean, there's also a lot of different reasons why something could be a good or bad sure. story, and you know, in but a different often form. Bad. I mean. And not and being a highly serialized television show that's uh, you know that's on at the same time is a really bad idea for yeah. <laughs> for a comic. Doing something that's uh, you know uh, uh, you know doing something that like I mean all of the things that that like all the licensed books that I was involved with in any way were things that mostly were able to just kind of exist on their own. Yeah, like we did Planet of the Apes before the new movies. Yeah, and, and, and the ones and we you did... You got out of Star Wars just in time. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, I mean, it's it's not a it's it's not an incredibly appealing idea to be a part of like something that has uh, you know where where there there's you know uh, some people sitting off in a in a smoke filled room uh, coming up with all the stories and then you're supposed to execute that. So I'm going back to Karina. Um, your work, when when you're working on something on your own, how is it different uh, than the work that you do with Gabe? It's funny. We've talked about this. I think um, a lot of times stuff I write tends to go more towards horror or like dark supernatural stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that uh, when you're working, like, uh, well, like Kinski turns out to be more real world kind of uh i don't know a little bit more uncomfortable people stuff yeah exactly (laughs) exactly (laughs) like i i um i think that's the major distinction and somehow when those things collide you get invisible republic yeah yeah but uh yeah like the um recently i did a aliens vampirella crossover and I loved it. That was right up my alley. I love Alien, and uh, it was really fun to write Vampirella, and that was like a kind of a perfect collision of, of properties for me because I could do what I wanted with it mostly, but I still had to work hard to make it feel correct, but I had a good feeling for both of those things. So, so you get that offer, and what is your first instinct? I mean, I assume that you, could, you somebody asked you about it, you didn't pitch it. 
No, no. Actually, uh, my editor, uh, Joe Ryben, came up with that idea like that. It was a crossover between Dynamite and Dark Horse because they each have, you know, uh, Vampirellas with Dynamite and Aliens is with Dark Horse. But, um, yeah, so he's like, well, here's these two things that need to meet in the middle. Do you have any ideas? And I thought about it. Oh, yeah, I have ideas. And I think that a lot of people, like, for that, I remember every single person going, well, that makes no sense. Vampirella and aliens couldn't ever fit together. And, like, I I remember thinking, even, like, I mean, you talked to me about it, and I remember thinking, I could kind of picture how that would work. Like, and there's so many things that I can't picture how that would work. Like, that, I thought I mean, that was a great idea to put together. But even just, not just the from space. Like, you say you take, you know, Star Trek and Green Lantern and put, you know, put them together. It's like, they come from such tonally different worlds. Like, the, the tone of the world of Green Lantern versus the tone of the world of Star yeah, Trek don't, in my head, seem to fit together at all. But if you could, if the two things have a kind of common tone, I can kind of imagine that. Well, another problem can be if they're too similar like i've also recently written a tarzan sheena crossover mm-hmm. and they're both very um you know they both love their jungle homes and they're both very action oriented and uh they're animal sidekicks and in a way that had a whole different challenge because you had to make them seem different mm-hmm. and uh, i don't like it when people just fight for no reason just to make drama without a point so I didn't want it to be a thing like they're fighting with each other all the time but how do you make them work on a problem together but still be distinct individuals but with uh, Aliens Vampirella there was no problem because <laughs> those are both different enough that you know she thinks she's a monster but she's a thinking monster and they're you know kind of colonial on maybe they think but in a way so so foreign to us so that was actually a really fun puzzle to solve so when so that one like when you hear that your your instinct was like what's the first thing you like do you, do you are you the kind of person who says yeah I can work on that or 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 you like oh god I don't know how I'm gonna do that and then you have to work on it for a little bit or because I my instinct is is if I heard something we're gonna put these two things together I, my first instinct would be I can't let them know that I have no idea how this would work. <laughs> well, honestly, for that one, um, it was an easy yes because I went alien yes. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah, I can see that. And I, I had a couple of, I think I pitched three different um, possibilities, and uh, we ended up with the one that took place on Mars, which is great because I've been reading a ton about Mars. But there are other things where I have to kind of think about it. And if there was something that I really had no feeling for, I would say no, because that's just not fair to the property. And we've also pitched freelance things together that have been... You know, the, where you know where we'll start on it, and it seems like, well, maybe we can make this work, yeah. and then it really didn't over the course of it. Right, right. You know, I mean, and like there've been things like that, and I, you know, and I've, um, I mean, my my work circumstances made it so that I haven't been able to, and but I, you know, and I've and I've only really focused on Invisible Republic, but it's, you know, like. You know, it, it's there's really nothing stopping me me from writing freelance stuff as well. It's just that my workload in movies plus writing drawing Invisible Republic as well makes it time wise very difficult. And you'd probably rather spend it. I mean, why? You know, if if you can do your own, create your own stuff, why? You know, <laughs> it's um, to be in the m- most minor way taken as if I'm actually a writer. 
<laughs> in comics. Well, whatever. Is that hey, what we're you, just I mean, having an argument over here, and Josh is just uncomfortable on the other side of the mic. I was, I was just, I'm going, well, I mean, that that's the thing. You want to be a writer, and, and now, and you, you draw also, but she's no, no, just wait writing. A it's not that I want to be a I writer. I know, I know. I realized when I said it. I've been drawing things I write for five years. I know that. <laughs> I could not picture you going back to doing the other things uh, in that sense. Um and I'm going to get to that because I do want to talk about Kinski and I want to go there. I am curious. One other thing. So you two have been working together. Um, when you have to do a script for somebody else, Karina, how does that work for you? Um, you know, it's it was a, a definitely a learning curve. I mean, I was fortunate in that um, Gabriel's so uh, versed in storytelling that like when he, when I wrote Heathen Town, we both worked on it and it was a, you know, the script was a Frankenstein's monster because I didn't really know what I was doing as far as formally writing a script. But um, as, you know, going through Planet of the Apes and stuff like that and working together and we had to produce scripts that not only an editor could read, but also, you know, multiple other people could make sense out of. So at this point I have a pretty good, like by the time I was just doing stuff that was just my own stuff like Aliens Vampirella or whatever, I have a pretty good workflow that is my personal way of doing something that's a little different than when we work together. Um, Although I'm always tinkering with it and I don't know, it's never quite to my satisfaction, but you're definitely my beta reader on everything. So, yeah, I mean, I usually read the stuff and if some, I mean, it's, you know, so just as an artist, I can say, oh, this isn't clear enough. This action could should be a little clearer, you know, just so that, you know, so that the artist will know. Because yeah, my, my visual sense has definitely developed a lot since I started doing this work, but uh, I still think in words. Yeah. And I, um, I have a lot of opinions about visual storytelling, <laughs> and I say true. them all the time. That's true. I've, I've heard that. Um, but it's it's good because a lot of times, like I've worked with artists who, you know, English isn't their first language, and I tend to be really verbose. And sometimes what's needed is simplicity. And uh, sometimes somebody needs to tell me, "Don't say it that way." <laughs> do you uh, find that you have uh, adopted some of Gabe's rules and, and some of those kind of styles, so that if you're working with somebody else who has a different style, it's or do you think, "Well, oh, that's not right." Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm perhaps less opinionated than some. <laughs> I, I mean, we all are. But it, yeah. it just, it, on, an, on a scale. But you don't, it's <laughs> mostly, it's just about clear storytelling. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like with the script, there are certain things that need to get into the script for the clarity of the story. So like when it's just me writing, there are, the story is the story, and there's things that need it, need to be there so that everyone can understand the story. How somebody else interprets that and puts it on the page, I mean, it's it's a collaboration, so it's never going to end up being exactly what I pictured, which is probably good because, again, my visual uh, language is not as, as refined as an artist would be, and every artist is different. So when I'm collaborating with somebody else, it just turns out a lot different, but that's cool because it's it's a different thing, you know. Yeah, it's fun. Now, um, I, I I do want to talk about Kinski because and and it's kind of funny because my my thought originally was, how do you describe this? Because it's it's fairly simple. And then you said something earlier which was just uncomfortable human stories, and I was like, yeah, that's yeah. it. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where does where did where did that come? I guess I want. Can you explain what it is? Um, because I can't. I think I can, but I want to hear how you explain it, and then and then let me know where that came from. Uh, it's a a sort of uh, quirky crime story about a uh, traveling salesman who steals a dog, thinking he's doing it for. Uh, uh, you know, for, for the, I haven't done this for a while Do, uh, and uh, thinking that, uh, he's saving the dog, uh, and, uh, you know, from its, its, uh, cruel owners and, uh, and that ends up sort of, uh, ruining his life for a while. And I also mean, defining it though. Yeah. And it's, you know, and there's, there's a cathartic element to it and, but it's a, it's a sort of quirky, I say a quirky Coen Brothers-esque sort of thing. That's not really true, but it's, it's a, a, a thing that, uh, people can kind of connect with. Uh, is the, do you consider the guy, the main character, the, the, is the guy who finds the dog? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I see one of the things that was interesting about that is that he, and this isn't a criticism. I think he, he, I, I could never tell where he was coming from. <laughs> and I, I, I was like, wait, is he, is he being a good guy here, or is he being? A, and then I was like, oh, he's neither, and he doesn't know, and we don't know, and that for me is where my discomfort came from. Again, right. not bad discomfort, but I, I was like, you're not giving me what I'm used to having. Yeah, I mean, weird. if you if you're reading the book and you don't have discomfort, I have failed. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's the intention. You know, I mean, the intention is to present you with a guy who makes decisions that, um, you could. You know, you could you could argue a lot of different ways. You know, I mean, the it's a, it's about this kind of morally ambiguous uh, uh, situation. No heroes. No heroes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, you he puts him. You know, he he makes a decision that um, you know that's incredibly uncomfortable. Uh, to you know, to basically to steal a dog from a child because he thinks the dog is not well taken care of. Just that sentence is uncomfortable. <laughs> and. Uh, and so, uh, you know, and the rest of it is, uh, uh, you know, is, is, is all of the fallout from that decision and, and the continued poor choices he makes. Although he, he decides he was wrong very early and sets about trying to fix it and just makes more problems. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, you know, I... These are the kind of stories that I'm interested in. I, I mean, like, if, if me personally, the kind of stories I'm deeply interested in are about flawed characters who, uh, who are trying to, you know, try to do the right thing uh, and don't necessarily have the skills to do the right thing and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, make messes of their lives. But, you know, but that doesn't mean that, I mean, Kinski has, a, uh, has an arc to it and he and, the, um, and, and Joe, the main character, uh, it is going someplace with this. Uh, it's it's not just all about existential misery or whatever. It's also a goofy comic about running around with a dog. And, and uh, what's the disclaimer that's so important? Oh, the dog doesn't die. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't see you doing that. No. Oh, God, no. <laughs> I don't think but I, do but that. I've, I've had this over and over again where people are afraid to read the book because they think that uh, I'm going to do something to the dog. Only no, the, the dog is well. The, the dog is is overly loved. That's that's the one thing you do, you do have going for you. Well, the dog is okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's fine. Uh, and and I, the uncomfortableness plus the title makes me think of Werner Herzog in ways that I don't fully understand. Is that intentional? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's intentional in that. You know, he, uh, it's, um, 
there's not some big meta thing to it, really. It's it is really just that uh, you know that they named the dog Kinski on a lark, and you know uh, because the dog seems to be crazy, like Klaus Kinski, and it's you know it's it it's not that much deeper than that. You know, it's it's not like the uh, you know I I don't really believe in that that kind of. Uh, meta storytelling. I, I think that it's uh, it, it's 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 all in the story. Although I imagine if you read Burden of Dreams, you discover that Herzog's no stranger to uh, pursuing an obsession to unbelievably. Yeah. All right, so there's a little bit of meta stuff in it. <laughs> yeah, it's there. There's there's definitely. I could hear him narrating it for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> He's made another poet choice. Um, but I, I, if, you know, if, you know, you, you're talking about what, you know, w- you know, why, why is Invisible Republic a comic? If it's, you know, if it's very, if it's, there's a lot of character driven stuff and it's a lot of, uh, you know, and, it, and it's not necessarily all about a big action. And, uh, you know, and you could say the same thing about Kinski. Why is that a comic if it's not, um, you know, if, if there's not, you know, big production value things in it and explosions and whatever. Um but I, you know, I'm dying to dive deeper than Kinski and do books that are less, you know, that, that are even less obviously apparently comics and will sell even less than Kinski did. <laughs> <laughs> Just a commercial force. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, so, I mean, you're going to be working on Invisible Republic for the foreseeable future. Like, or do you, do you have like an end date? I, I feel like if you're... Is ten or eleven is out now? Uh, eleven, it comes out in Let's September. See. That's okay. the beginning of the third arc. So uh, and the second I, trade is out really soon. Second trade is out. Well, you probably will already be out by the time people are listening to this. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, uh, you know, it, I honestly I can't keep those dates in my head. But it, but it's uh, so the we're working on the third arc now, and there will be three more arcs after that. There's a possibility that there will be a break in between them, mm-hmm. uh, just for sanity and whatever reasons. But you've got at least two three years yeah well it's probably not three years but probably two years mm-hmm. yeah and then you'll have that other weird story that is even less commercial just dying to break out at that point <laughs> yeah i'll be trying to work on that at the same time so that i, can, oh, I think uh, there's a couple you know. of them oh yeah i've got loads of them you know and uh you know i, I it probably is if it's uh, you know, comics are an odd thing because they're genre-wise, they are are very typed to a particular kind of thing. But there's plenty of it's a medium, not a genre. Yeah, and so it's it, there's and there's but there's plenty of, there's plenty of novels and movies and all sorts of stuff out there that uh, you know uh, that explore different kinds of stuff and the kind of stuff that I'm trying to explore in Kinski. And uh, you know, I you know they're probably not that popular in those uh, mediums either. You know, but uh, but like it, uh, but I, I I think it's very valid and and you know and where I draw a lot of inspiration. Cool. Um, I, I I look forward to all of that stuff very much. That's not even <laughs> it. That's that's not even like me being nice. I really am looking forward to those things because um, it's unique. It's something that's different. Um, and, and we always need more of that. Is there, I guess, is there, I guess, is there anything else coming out? Um, I guess, Karina, do you have other stuff that's coming out in the near future that we should be on the lookout for? Gosh, I think, um, currently my run on Miss Fury is wrapping up. That's going to be out in trade in November, I believe. Um, just had a giant book come out from... Uh, insight that uh, I co-wrote with Landry Walker um, from a story by 
uh, it's basically like a sideshow production for their Court of the Dead line. So that just came out. That's like a giant coffee table book that's beautiful and full of art and prose and crazy stuff. And then Aliens Vampirella just came out in trade. And uh, Lords of the Jungle, which is the Tarzan Sheena crossover, is just now wrapping up. And that's going to be out in trade by Christmas. And gosh, what else is there? I'm not uh, sure. Um, might be it that you can uh, talk about now. Yeah. Uh, also, we have. Also, we're going to do a superhero comic. So you know, <laughs> I don't have to sell it too hard. I don't want everyone to. Get <laughs> no, no. We we're very likely doing a freelance thing as well. That's uh, that you know that we can't talk about yet. And this is uh, you drawing and and you yep. both writing. Yep. <laughs> All right. I look yeah. forward to that. Something else soon that will be announced from me, and uh, it seems like I'm forgetting something, but I don't. Yeah. <laughs> my and my little sarcasm thing about the superhero thing, it was a joke, okay? <laughs> like the uh, there is I if if you look at the stuff that I've drawn and you know the stuff that I've written and drawn, you know that I have zero regard for for what I should be doing. I'm only interested in the thing that excites me. And if the if we're doing a freelance thing, uh, the, then it's a project that it excites me that I that I'm I'm interested in and and really want to do. Is okay. So if I asked you right now, what would be the superhero thing that would really excite you? Is this it, or is there a different answer that you can give me? I'll, um, give, I'll give you that. I'll give that question to both of you. I, for, oh, so, so the end of this thing is what superhero do we want to oh, do? I have a good answer for that. I already <laughs> no, because, got it. Yeah, you can go. Um, I just tone. did a five-issue run on Miss Fury, and that was my what I really wanted to do. So there you go. <laughs> but the, um, I no, I mean the this is the, you know can can we just talk about it for one second though? This is a weird question in a way because like if if I looked at it like what superhero did I always like? Do I want to do that? That's not necessarily an effective no, way no, to no. think of this, right? I mean, uh, and, you know, say, oh, I don't know, the Doom Patrol, right? I've, you know, I've been, I was a fan of that Morrison Doom Patrol. I was also really a fan of uh, the 60s Doom Patrol, uh, the Arnold Drake, Bruno Premiani Doom Patrol. Uh, Bruno Premiani, the artist, uh, is one of my top guys of all time. I love his work. And, um, but... That doesn't mean that somehow now doing a Doom Patrol book makes any sense, you know? No, but it, if you come at me with with uh, with saying, you know, that, that we're doing a superhero bu- book and you make a joke about it, then I have to ask you, is there a superhero book that would ex- it would excite you? And, and again, well, you're doing you know, so the only point secret. I'm making, the point I'm making is that it's not necessarily it, I wouldn't necessarily be able to answer that that way. You know, like there there's a um, the. The best projects are probably the things that, uh, you know, that, that I haven't even necessarily thought about, you know, like it's, it's about being pre- presented, you know, like if you're doing a freelance thing, it's about being presented with this thing and, uh, and realizing that you really do have a story to tell in that mm-hmm. world or with that character. And I don't, and I don't think that that aligns with, uh, with, I always loved that character, you know? I mean, I, I think that uh, that I'm sure there are a lot of people who just really, really want to work on a particular character, and that and that's. I think what... it's different than love that character. I think I think there's a there's a I could tell I could tell a story about this guy or. Oh. Right. That doesn't necessarily. Li- I'm saying that doesn't necessarily line up with I always loved that character. You know. No, uh, I don't think. When so. I tell a story about him, isn't the same thing as I love the the stories other people have told. Mm-hmm. So I mean, uh, if uh, if you said like. 
uh, this isn't what we're doing, but like, say, Hawkman. Mm-hmm. Seems like a kind of a dopey character, right? But when I think about it, and I think about, well, you know, he's got space, and he's got, they've got some other planet, and there's, there's rules on those planets. They've probably got some pretty strict rules on that planet. And, you know, and, he, you know, and, and all of the things that go along with that, I start thinking, you know, I'd probably like to do a Hawkman book. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, I think some of it comes from uh, also once you've thought about the character for a little while. And, like, I didn't expect to really like writing Hulk, but when we worked on the Hulk Book. I, it was yeah, we did like a two issue, yeah. two issue Hulk, Doctor Strange mm-hmm. thing, and and you know we cast it as a sort of science fiction story, and it, you know kind of mystical science fiction story, and we're able to find a way in, and it and it you know it just isn't necessarily about you know here's that guy you know I've always loved this guy, I got to tell one more story of this guy. I mean I like Batman fine, but I'm not convinced there needs to ever be another Batman story. There've been a billion of them. <laughs> I don't disagree. <laughs> but I still have to read them all. No disrespect to the people doing the job now. I understand. You know, at all, you know. Are there any like are there any, do you guys read any comics? Oh, yeah. What the fuck? I'm Nick, I'm asking. It's, I, oh, it's, it's not just me, like like there is there current stuff that's coming out that that is like oh that's really that's really good work. And 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 the other side of that cuz there's two ways to appreciate comics, I think. There's the Wow, they're doing a really good job on this craft. Well, you know, the, the art looks great, the story is good, or whatever. And then there's the I'm actually really into the story and I'm enjoying it, and I find that's harder to come by. I don't the think longer those are I've been reading things. superhero stories. I, I don't think those are different okay. things. I think it's the same thing. I think you are if the craft is working, you're enjoying the story. And I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't. I can't imagine another way for it to work. I mean, uh, the comics like one of the absolute best um, comics. Coming out now is Gorillas. Oh, by, I love uh, Gorillas. Gorillas um, is amazing. Uh, what's his name? Bram Ravel. Yeah, Bram Ravel. Mm-hmm. That is just a masterpiece of visual craftsmanship and storytelling, and and doing something that on the surface of it sounds silly and is not in any way, and is taken, you know, and and you know, and deconstructed and told in this, you know, really you know, really great, interesting way. Like, I, I read that book, and I'm like, shit, I should be doing a much better job of this stuff. <laughs> That's great. I'm really glad you got a place to bring that and finish it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I've yeah. been waiting for that for... Yeah, I think he started that book when we put out Heathentown. You know, I think they I, yeah. came out... Right. The, the very beginning of Gorillas was, was yeah. uh, when we did Heathentown. I Dance. met him at a party, and like I, I, I was talking about it, and he looked at me like, you've read it? <laughs> it's like uh-huh. yes, you know, and and that was a really long time ago. Um, yeah, but there's a bunch of there's lots of stuff, you know. I mean the the recent uh, uh, Daniel Klaus book was great. Oh yeah, that was really good. Um, also, uh, Lazarus, I just have finally gotten caught up with that. Um, that's a and, that's a very nice bookend to your book. I think that happens at the same time at, at Image. Yeah, it's funny. It's like I, I've heard people um, say that, and I was way behind. And then I kind of see what they're saying, though, because it's a lot about the interpersonal politics, <laughs> and it's science fiction, but in service of the more interesting story yeah. that's going on, and a different spin on sort of what will, can happen to a, a society that yeah. sort of was yeah. like ours. Um, and there's a lot of really interesting ideas in there that yeah. like, I just would have never even occurred to me, but are fascinating to read. Yeah, he goes for it. Um, cool. I think that's about all that I have uh, for you. And I think Great. we talked about what's coming up. 
Uh, anything to add? Are we good? I think. I think we're good. Yeah. I think I just stole that from Mark Maron without meaning to. Oh well, you know. Well, now you have to get a camera. You're, look, you're a podcaster. It's I was first, happen. man. No, I have to tell you. <laughs> I remember early on, I used to think I should write to that guy and talk to him, and then he kept getting bigger and bigger, and I was like, I guess I missed my chance. <laughs> but we still see him down at the um, local coffee shop every once in a while. He lives in our neighborhood. So. Have you have you ever seen him get mad at anybody at that coffee shop? Uh, I'm not. I'm not hanging around watching Mark Maron. Okay. <laughs> Like I'm good. We've got lives to live. Listen, you guys brought it up. I don't. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks very much. That was super fun, and I'm, I'm glad that happened. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you. And that is all. I want to thank Gabe and Karina for spending all that time with me and talking about comics and all of the other things that came up. You can comment on this over at ifanboy.com and see what's going on and the other stuff that we've got going on there. You can follow Gabe and Karina on Twitter. That's probably the best place for them. And again, check out uh, patreon.com slash ifanboy to help support the show if you like this kind of thing. Thanks very much, and we'll talk to you later. That's for you.